So the influential project manager, in my view, is a set of soft skills first. A trait of humility, being humble, knowing that it's an honor to be in a leadership position. So people are counting on you to make the right decisions. So approach that with humility, you know, not acting like you know everything, listening, treating people with respect, taking ownership, working hard, integrity. And that's what kind of leads into the technology piece of it, is that when you have all those. What is up, everyone? And thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Bricks and Bytes podcast. On today's episode, we welcome Carl Nitchen, aka the Influential Project Manager. Carl speaks to us from the perspective of a construction project manager and his views of technology. We also talk about what makes a great project manager, lean construction principles, the importance of dashboards, and Carl's writing process, which enables him to pump content. If you're enjoying our podcast, please check us out on Spotify or Apple and wherever you get your podcasts from. And please leave us a review. This helps us get more amazing guests to give you guys the best and most informative content on technology in the built world. And shout out to our sponsor, Beta. If you want to connect with some of the biggest players in the construction tech world, including tier one building contractors, some of the biggest construction tech companies, investors and advisors, check them out by visiting www.the-beta.com. You are listening to Bricks and Bytes Podcast, where we take you on a journey in construction, technology, and business. All right, let's get this episode started. Kyle, you are the influential project manager. Tell us some more. Yeah. So that is a a little brand name that I created just through my years and journey of going through this world of construction project management, just growing up and starting off in the industry and trying to grow and succeed. I learned the difference between certain different project leaders and project managers, and some of them took off and, and solved problems and made things go away and ultimately delivered an amazing product and were really fun to work with. And others were the opposite. They were not fun to work with. They were very challenging. They always were fighting fires. And those were who I wanted to stay away from. So I kind of built this archetype or this mental model called an influential project manager. And that's who I wanted to become. And that's who I I continue to strive to be. And I took that and kind of put that into a newsletter to kind of share my insights and document kind of the whole journey. So that's where that whole, that's what all that came about. Is there any like services that you offer to people or how, how does it work? No services other than I kind of look at it as like a product. My newsletter is kind of like a product and it's kind of like a tool and a resource for other project managers or other leaders in the AEC industry in general to get insights. Every week, every Tuesday, I just send out a deep dive on a particular topic that's related to what we do in the business, whether that be team building whether that be productivity, time management, uh, whether it's something like a best practice, like MEP or lean construction, those types of things, we dive into that. And, you know, understanding your biases and different frameworks just to help you lead people and predict outcomes. Those are the two things that we do. And that's what I like to talk about. And that's what I like to share. And so anytime I can help others, 
do this and make this process, this complicated process of turning vision into reality a little bit yeah. easier? What's the, what's, every, every writer has a process. So how do you do it? Because I noticed like the depth, like especially the one you released, I think it was yesterday or Tuesday on MEP. It was like a like serious like amount of content there. So yeah. how do you like stay on top of releasing that kind of information on a weekly basis? Yeah. So I definitely have a process. I definitely have a framework and it all starts with idea generation. So I'm just kind of always thinking about these kind of things first. And so once something grabs my mind, I store it in documents into, in my case, I use Notion for all this stuff. It's my hub for pretty much everything. And so it starts with just a single idea like MEP systems. Okay. What do I want to do with MEP? I want to create a beginner's guide and then from there, kind of expand on it and put on just the headlines and the main points I want to cover. And that's kind of the process, how it starts from an idea. And I just start building on it from there. And then to couple that, I have a writing routine, a very disciplined writing routine. So I write every day, seven days a week, first thing in the morning for usually about one to two hours. It, it's the time I get where I'm the most unreachable and I'm the least distracted. So I block that window with from everything. It's a non-negotiable and that's what I use my time. So I'm writing every day in that time. And so I could be writing on a number of different things because there's so many kind of ideas in the hopper and I'm kind of just organizing it, prioritizing it to get those final products out. So influential project manager, if we have a persona of influential project manager, in my view, there's Within this concept, there is a lot of soft skill set required to be an influential product manager. What skill set or what is, who is an influential product manager? Is it someone who is a great leader or do they need to have certain degree of understanding of technology or where is technology actually within, where does the technology lies within, within this persona? So... Yeah, what technology, you're right. So the influential project manager in my view is a set of soft skills first. That's the backbone of it. It's a, it's a highly emotional, intelligent human with a couple different traits. And, and like, you know, we can go down a few things of, of leadership traits that I like to talk about. And, you know, some things that make a great leader is like, you know, a trait of humility, being humble, knowing that, you know, it's an honor to be in a leadership position. So, you know, people are counting on you to make the right decisions. So approach that with humility, you know, not acting like you know everything, listening, treating people with respect, taking ownership, working hard, integrity, things like that. That's what kind of makes up a, a, real, a good leader. And so moving into kind of the personal traits and the character traits, those are things like, you know, having drive and having resiliency and curiosity. And so also those are some character traits that back into that, that also make like a high performer. And that's what kind of leads into the technology piece of it, is that when you have all those traits and things that are going on within you, you naturally just dive into what the best tools. You want the best tools to, to help you and to make your operation the best it can be. That's drive, that's curiosity, that's wanting to win and work hard and do the right thing. You need tools. So you'll just as a byproduct, go out and make sure you go get the bright tools and make sure you understand them the most. 
Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, do you think you obviously reeled off a number of like soft skills there? Do you think these come naturally to people or is it something that can be learned through experience in the industry? I think there is a natural component to it based on your environment, your experiences, especially growing up and the things that you've done and what environments you've placed yourself in. I think there's a component of that. But I also think that they definitely can be learned and they definitely can be improved because you can put yourself in new environments. You can put yourself around new people. You can expose yourself to new knowledge. So, and you have to kind of peel back some layers to get your mind open enough to want to learn those things because sometimes that harder than just it sounds. So yeah, I, I definitely think that. Do you think it's more difficult to learn soft skills than technical skills or? Yes, I, I do because uh, soft skills are, you know, they're psychological and, and our minds kind of a, it's complicated and it's complex and there's biases and, and things of that nature. Technical skills are a little bit more black and white. They're, they can be a little bit more straightforward, but these soft skills kind of have dichotomies. So, you know, sometimes you want to be really humble, right? You want to, you know, be on the really far side of humility, but then, you know, 15 minutes later, a situation might come up and you might need to crank up the ego a little bit just to make a point. So yeah. And there's time and a place for all that. So knowing that it takes a lot of, I don't know, extra thought and, and kind of a lot of failure and, yeah, you have to be willing to uh, experiment a bit as well. Like you read a tip on like influence, say, then you have to go and try that, right? Like you can't just like learn it, like with a technical skill, you learn it and it's kind of done. Whereas you do have to apply it as well. But like when you're applying these soft skills, it's often done where the stakes are very high and yeah, the feedback is instantaneous. So it can be quite difficult for you to just to go out and do that. Exactly. There's no like how to guide on like leadership. You really... A lot of it that you can learn some things, but a lot of it you got to kind of learn mm -hmm. by experience. And Carl, so you, you, you're obviously involved, like we're on a construction podcast, you're in the construction industry, people haven't already picked that up. But what, just tell us, who are you working for yourself right now or is this, are you part of a bigger, bigger corporation? No, I am part of a bigger corporation. I work for Leighton Construction, an amazing company. They're a top five ENR builder, contractor, and there were a nationwide construction management firm and engineering news record. It's kind of a big publication. I guess it might be more popular in the States, but it's a big publication in the AEC industry. They rank every year, they rank like the top 400 contractors and, and Leighton is, is kind of in the top five there. So it's, it's a fantastic company couldn't be in a better place with the, the leadership that's here and the opportunities that they've given me and the work and projects they've won and pursued and the support that I've gotten along the way. So yeah, that's who I'm working for now. And I'm, I'm managing or I'm running operations in a portion of Southern California. And are you ever seeing one main project or you, you do work on like multiple? Multiple. I have two clients that I'm with right now. And there's two different campuses I'm on, but all of uh, each campus, they're kind of, we're doing some master planning and reconstruction of hospitals. So I'm on two hospital campuses, sorry to specify that. And they each have a handful of projects that are going right now. All right. So into the meat of key subject and like technology on the sites that you are control, project managing, should we say. So like, yeah, how do you come across like 
within latent construction and also your own experience within latent construction, do you come across much digital or even like maybe hard tech that's on site? Yes, we do. I wish we came across a little more, but yes, we have, as you know, like everything is digital right now. We're all on screens. You know, everyone's got a smartphone, everyone's got an iPad. And so pretty much everything we do is digital. As far as tools that we're currently using and seeing, they're mainly app based and web based. So, like things like we come across a lot as Procore, you know, the standard Procore, CMIC those tools that are really helping the field communicate to the office and streamlining and organizing your documents and drawings and, you know, submittals and RFIs and streamlining that whole process. That's a very common thing that's used. And I think there's a lot of value in that. There's tiny little pain points that I think that could be better on, on those options and they're not perfect. Yeah. I was going to say, I was going to say like you kind of touched on it, but like, are you a believer or are you a bit more skeptical of the, of the technology we're trying to implement? I'm a definite believer. Absolutely. Big believer. I think that there's massive value in it. Like I said, my whole philosophy behind technology is I want to focus on the right things at the right time. And anything that's not important, I don't want to do. And I want to offload that to technology, to automation, to all that. I want to focus. My thing is low input, high output. Like I want technology to do that, to take all the really doing and the task busyness stuff. I think that if that could be offloaded to just done in technology or AI or whatever you may have it, that way us project managers and the people that are trying to execute these projects are working on the hard stuff, the right stuff, which is the you know, meeting together and making sure that we understand each other's priorities and we're working together, building as a team. We're solving the right problems. Uh, You know, we're we're not solving a problem that doesn't matter. And we're servicing our customer and making sure that they're happy and they're getting the value that they want out of the project and building great relationships with everyone else involved, the trade partners, the vendors, the subcontractors and that. Yeah. So, yeah, so where I can understand that the work of project manager, QS, site engineer, so people who are on site, but they work in, in the offices on site, they work is fairly digital and they know how to use the digital tools to, to communicate with each other. But how about the construction workers? Do you see there is a lot of innovation slash tech in their hands or it is still that most of the tasks are are done by hands with verbal communication with the site management. How does this dynamic play out? Yeah, so you're right. Everyone pretty much in the office is on technology, computers, screens. But I am, we are seeing a huge spike and much more of the tradespeople and the people that are actually doing the work with technology. We absolutely are. They all have iPads. They're all using the apps. They're not really filling out much forms by paper anymore. And they're too adopting. I think that there's just a really big push right now with all this. And and people and the, the workers on site are feeling it. I just met with a drywall and framing subcontractor uh, two days ago. And they showed me this really cool tool 
called the, the Trimble Hollow Lens. And it's pretty much a hard hat with a lens on it that they're using for their own, their foremen, their field leaders are using to QA, QC their job, to make sure things are in the right place. It's essentially puts, it's like these goggles that you put on and you have full access. You see your model on your site. So you can look at the ductwork and say, oh, that ductwork's not in the right spot or that outlet's not in the right spot right there. It needs to go a little bit higher. Or I can say, okay, what's the dimension from that wall to that wall? And these lenses shoot the dimension for you. And I tried it on and it was mind blowing and they're loving it. And they're said, they're just getting a lot of value out of it. And And that's people putting in work. So that's interesting. When you say about when you when you talk about that, so it feels like there is a tech to the on-site workers helps them to plan the work, so they know which part of the project they are working on now or today. So they can check it on the drawings on the iPad, for example. It helps them to do few qualitative checks, right? And how about the workmanship itself or the the physical creation of the output? Is there much technology which facilitate this process or are we not there yet? Oh, uh, to actually put in the work itself. I have seen, so some of the things that I've seen, and I'm not seeing it actually used yet, but I've seen it more in like a demo fashion or, or like a, hey, this is pretty cool thing I got going on, but I'm not seeing it like adopted, at least from my perspective boots on the ground. Those things like it's called a, like a, a little robot that goes around and lays out all your walls. I don't know if you've seen that. It draws. Yeah. You're doing your layout. I thought that was really cool, but I haven't seen that personally, like on it being used on a site. Also seeing these little robot dogs that go around and scan your site. Obviously, I think you've heard of 3D printing. I know that's big in kind of making its way into residential I haven't seen it so much in commercial quite yet, but I think those were just kind of like on the the scratch in the surface now. I think that that will soon flood into to what we're doing, but I'm I'm just not sure. So like management teams, are they talking about it on sites or uh, maybe in some management meeting? Is there a conversation about like trying this stuff or there's kind of silence and and nothing planned yet. I don't want you to t- talk about uh, your particular uh, latent construction, but from your experience, broadly speaking. Yes, there is conversation. It's everyone's talking about it right now. I think the whole AI conversation that's really kind of going mainstream is pushing everyone to the technology in general, even outside of AI. So yes, it's everyone's thinking about it. Everyone's kind of tiptoeing and dabbling a little bit you know, all the way from the general contractors to the subcontractors to the owners. They're all starting to just get their feet wet to open these conversations, to have these workshops. Like I said, I was just in a two days ago in a think tank, what we call the think tank, discussing and brainstorming these things. So it is absolutely coming and it's absolutely... It's good. I like it. It's giving me more hope than how I normally feel about like tech in the construction industry, I have to say. Carl, are there any, maybe from a personal or project perspective, pain points that uh, you feel are perhaps that someone probably is trying to solve it, but is it like maybe that you're unaware of or that you feel is a major problem? Yeah. Pain points, you know, I think that one of my pain points is that there's, we have a number, I see a number of these tools that are out there and even in my operations, we have so many different tools. I wish there was better integration between all of them, all these areas that we 
we do our workflow out of like out of Outlook and out of our apps and out of our schedule and all these different places that we operate in. I, I wish there was just a better... getting passwords to each of this and remember all of this password. It's just absolute nonsense. Yeah. Ever heard <laughs> of a password manager? Exactly. Exactly. I think there's... You need to be as structured, you need to be as, structured as you are when to deal with all of it. So yeah, I think that integration is a, a big pain point there, that there's some problems to solve there on the integration side. I really like dashboards too. I don't know if anyone's doing dashboards really that well out there. And that's just like, boom, looking all at all the important things that you need to look at from a high, high level on your project and and like schedule, time, budget, safety, you know, even relationships, documents, you know, issues. Those kind of things, I, I think that would be really cool. I like to see that from a high level view and then I can, uh, you know, prioritize my time better well, when I do that. Procore doesn't have that within their uh, package. I think they do. Procore might have that. Yeah, I think they could. I just don't know if it maybe has the complete picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they can plug into like Microsoft BI and... Someone showed me a demo once. It looked quite impressive. But aside from that, I don't know much about it. Yeah. Well, I need to look into that. Yeah, I think that's kind of... And then, yeah, the other pain points are just training, you know, getting everyone trained up because, you know, there are people that are slow adopters and they kind of want to, you know, do things in their own way. And I think that's kind of going away. But yeah, it requires a lot of training. Is it like a demographics issue that older people would prefer not to learn new technologies? Or there's just simply mindset of people... I think the trend would be more the older demographic would be a little bit more resistant to it. I think it's just that might be a human nature thing, you know, is you kind of get older, you kind of get more set in your ways and and less open to change. That's not true for everybody. That's not definitely not true for everybody, but it's just maybe the trend. But yeah, I think that the solution to that is how I've always approached it is just teaching them the why, you know, have to just constantly teach them the why, hey, this is how I'm going to save time, save headaches, and ultimately just run a better job and, and provide a better product. So it's showing, helping them connect the dots is really the solution there. Kyle, so one of the tangible technologies, which I like, um, is broadly speaking, offsite construction. Side of all of the software, which is useful and useless, usually the other. What sort of offsite construction solutions do you see in the US or maybe on the projects that you work on? Yeah, and where the trend is going in terms of offsite construction? Glad you asked that because I am a big fan of offsite construction. I think that as how I think about things is I, I really want to make things as predictable and as reliable as possible. That is ultimately how we succeed is because the customer can get his project on time, under budget, and all the value that they want to get out of that project. And if they can reliably count on that, then construction is going to be well. We're going to be doing good. And that's the service that we provide. So offsite construction and modularity is I think a very important trend that's going to happen and continue to to grow in the future. And how I think of it is that any time that we can, you know, break the project into smaller chunks and kind of build them like Legos, that gives us a way better chance to succeed. You know, things are going to be more reliable, costs are going to go down, we're going to be building in controlled environments and the 
it takes the variability out of things that we see on constructions. Construction sites are just so variable. And I think offsite construction reduces that, which is a key success factor. So I'm like I'm seeing a lot of companies doing well, Blocks being one of them. Shout out to them. I think they're a leader in the in the movement. They're prefabbing, you know, walls, bathrooms, overhead ME. So they're breaking it down like as opposed to doing like entire modules. Yeah, Brit. And you don't need to go to a specific company to do that, you know, builders can also just help the architects and design teams can help design the projects to become, to be built modular and to be built in a fashion like that. So it can just happen. It's just a conversation that needs to be happened with the project team on a strategy on how to better deliver the project. Um, yeah. So yeah, like walls, you know, exterior walls, interior walls, you know, you can build those Maybe not off-site. You know, sometimes you don't get all the value from like building just off-site, but building in a controlled environment, maybe next to the site, and assembling everything in parts and pieces there, and then that way you're not you know double shipping and you know building it over here and then trucking it. Sometimes there's some waste involved in that process, but yeah. And then so anytime you can assemble things and kind of, I like to think put things together like Legos, like just like your Lego toys when you're building as a kid. Very simple. They just connect together. And then at the end of the day, you got this nice, beautiful building, beautiful product. Especially in the UK, we have experienced like bad times with modular construction. Or, and I don't know, like offsite comes under this umbrella, but just recently, a couple of big companies here, like the, some of the biggest modular builders in the UK, really gone into administration. So like another one sort of bites the dust situation with with that. But what you say about like creating localized kind of factories to the site and not having like a factory that's actually 400 miles away or whatever. I don't know if it's a solution, but hey, got to be tested at least. Yeah, but Kyle, you are the second person talking about it. And the first one was someone from Arco, Arco Mary mentioning that, that this becomes quite popular in the US because of obviously distances between places. So it it must be like decentralizing the production facility, definitely a good thing. How about workforce? Do you see people struggling with the workforce or qualified workforce? How does this look like? Yep, that I do. And I believe those headlines that you see on, in the media are, are accurate. So yeah, workforce, we are seeing that trend. I just think that there's a lot of people, we're in the stage now where a lot of people are retiring, kind of the older generation. And there's not a lot of people backfilling, younger people backfilling those slots in the industry. We're, we're seeing a, a decline on that end. So it quite hasn't, I can't say that it's impacted us. I've heard it from a lot from our trade partners, subcontractors, the workforce, that they're seeing just less people come into the unions and into their you know pool of work. And But I haven't seen it kind of impact our project yet. It's kind of been kind of more of, just conversational and people say that it's it's a couple years out but yeah there is a trend in in less skilled people as well i think that this industry is we're in an, an amazing opportunity right now for people who want to come into this industry and and build a great career there's just endless opportunity and there's not that much competition i would say you know 
So you can stand out really quickly if you have things like drive and curiosity and those soft traits that that we mentioned at the beginning of the call, like sky's the limit. One of the concepts I looked up your LinkedIn when we met a few weeks ago, and one of the concepts you show is something called lean construction. Can you elaborate what lean construction is? Yeah. So lean construction is kind of, it's kind of multiple things. It's number one, it's kind of a mindset. It's a mindset of how you approach your business and how you approach your processes and operation, you know, kind of based on continuous improvement, focusing on flow of value. So you're following kind of where the value is and you want continuous flow, like work without interruption. We want to maximize value, minimize waste, continuous improvement, just always kind of getting better and improving. So that's like the mindset component of it. And so when you approach that with that mindset, your work with that mindset, you start doing things differently. You start talking to people differently. You start treating people differently. You start treating scenarios differently. And those usually yield a positive benefit, you know, better results better predictability. And then it's also a different way of just organizing your processes. You know, so there's a few different processes that are more efficient as opposed to um, one of them to name is the last planner system. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but uh, that is a, a process of scheduling as opposed to a critical path schedule. I'm just building this massive schedule and hey, here's the critical path, the longest path to get from point A to point B. And then just managing that and saying, throwing it at a, a group of people and saying, all right, this says be here on this time. So show up and do it. And it's kind of more of a command and control type thing. That's kind of how construction was done previously. The last planner system is a process that empowers the last planners. And what the last planners, those are the boots on the ground people, the people that are actually doing the work, the workforce and so it's a process and a framework that starts with a high-level schedule, like I just mentioned, a master schedule, and slowly breaks it down from granularity, going into like a phase pull planning, taking like a six to eight-week chunk of the schedule and bringing everyone together in a collaborative environment and looking at that eight-week period and saying, okay, let's work backwards from our goal. And let's talk about the different relationships between activities. This has got to be done before this happens. And this guy needs to complete before the plumber needs to complete before we can close up the wall and put drywall on the wall and, and have everyone talk it out in a collaborative way. And then people commit to that. And then you go down a little bit further than that and you get it down to a weekly level and you say, okay, you bring everyone together again and say, all right, what are we going to do this week, guys? Like, let's make promises. Let's make commitments. And everyone says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to bring three guys and finish this activity. And the other guy says, okay, I'm going to bring four guys. I'm going to finish my activity. And all those relationships and all those commitments kind of keep us on schedule. And then after all that's done, we look at the data and we say, okay, the drywall company made seven promises and he made he committed and fulfilled six of them. So he made six out of the seven promises. That's good. That's a high percentage. The plumber over here, he made, you know, eight promises, but he only fulfilled on four of them. It was 50%. So, okay, let's dig into the why. Let's understand why. Was it a manpower issue? Was it a um a design constraint issue? What was it? Let's understand it so we can continuously approve. So that's like a large 
that's a framework of scheduling and production that's kind of new and not new. It's it's been around since the early two thousands, I believe, but it's not really implemented. It's more. It's really being pushed out more now. But that's that's essential is a lean construction process, and there's a few others like that that I focus on. That's one of my favorites, and that's ultimately just a way better collaborative approach to to scheduling and to production. You know, putting out production, and there's technology to support all that. We use an awesome an awesome um, yeah, it was we use an awesome tool called Touch Plan to digitally pull plan those and have those kind of conversations on a monthly level and on a weekly level. And so that kind of tool facilitates, we all get around our screen and our computer and we talk about this together and we have these kind of really healthy conversations. Dashboard, yes, that you kind of have, can manage the whole process in the real time, even like when there is a delay on something, it should be popping out on the screen that, oh, this should be done because if this is not done by this time, then this other thing or this other team will be, uh, will be blocked with their program. Exactly. So yeah, that's like the dashboard I was talking about. Like along with all my Procore dashboard integrations, I'd also like to see my dashboards of everyone's PPC planned promises complete. So I'd like to see everything that I need to know, you know, all those important metrics. Mine, any more questions on project management generally? Well, Kyle, what we haven't touched on, but we should from a project management point of view, leadership. Oh, well, let's see. Yeah, like leadership the whole thing behind the influential project manager and, and what I'm doing with the newsletter is ultimately to build more leaders, to develop more leaders in the industry, because those leaders are going to multiply value to other people and to create, go on and create other things and go on and do amazing things that create these new tech tools and you know stand behind these new tech tools that come in and ultimately make the construction process and the design process and the whole AEC world a better place. That is my ultimate mission. And that's how I think of doing that is developing more leaders and talking about these topics that we talk about. Because you just, we mentioned on this call, a bunch of, of issues and stuff like waste and the workforce and you know the success rate of project is extremely low. And I don't know if you guys are aware of that as well, or you have much of that same thing going on in, in the UK, but like there's data that's published. It's like 30% of projects are actually successful. And there, there is some data saying that uh, all, there's a chart and well, not all, but a few industries. And there is a curve showing that construction is uh, within the last 20 or 30 years on this chart, the productivity of construction broadly declined and all of the other industries productivity increased which is ridiculous right yes it's ridiculous yeah it's absolutely ridiculous so that's what i want to fix that's what i am really after and the whole thing about you know i'm sure you maybe you heard the stereotype of you know construction managers and everyone on the construction sites working 60 plus hours a week 70 plus hours a week like that's silly we should be able to run our operation so we can Go in, do the right things, the right work, and hmm. all within well under 50 hours a week. And we can go on and go about our life and be with our family and do the exciting things that we want to go ahead and do, whatever that may be for that for you and that person. So I want to make sure that I'm, that's my mission, deliver more value to the industry so that we're delivering way more predictability in projects, more reliability. And yeah, 
have get people's time back to themselves. And uh, you mentioned about taking the 60 to 70 hour weeks. I think this is a great way to attract more people to the industry is if we can improve people's productivity to only work in 20 hours per week. Woohoo! Everyone's going to want to come to construction. No, they will still have bosses who will tell them, no, 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 it's minimum 45. Yeah, hmm, now you can do your whole job in 20 hours. Now. The whole problem with this productivity, it's super psychological. So if you know you can finish your work in 20 hours, then you can, oh, actually I could make more if I also did this, 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 and that. And you're this never-ending problem really, right? Because psychologically, you just add up new activities. I just wrote a decent blog on this, by the way. So check that out, drurio.com. But yeah, Carl, on the newsletter, one question for me is how does someone get better at writing? And you can't say do more of it. (laughs) Yeah, great point. So without saying do more of it, I would say, you know, get a process going. Get first understand why you're writing, what you want to write about. Get dig into the details of, of the why. And are you writing to help people? Are you writing to just get your thoughts more clear. What is it that you're wanting to write about? So figure out the why and get a process to go. So like I mentioned at the beginning of the call, maybe something like getting your ideas out on paper, whatever you want to write about, and then which one of those are pulling at you the most, and then start breaking it down. Start with chunking it down into big sections. Okay. Then we talk about lean construction. That's the main topic. Okay. Let's break it down into four bullet points and then elaborate on. Okay. So I have a follow-up question on this. When you talk about writing, when you say, so let's say you wake up at, well, you start writing at 7am and you say, I'm going to write until I achieve something, or it's just now I have an hour to write about this subject and whatever comes from it, it's there, or I'm happy with that, or you structure it a little bit more than you say, oh, this is the outcome I'm aiming for. Yes. Thank you for pulling that out of me. That's the key part. So yeah, for me in my writing window, it's just a block of time. I'm writing the whole time. It's one and a half hours, or it's either, depending on the day, it kind of changes. It's like either an hour and a half to two hours. And that's just me writing the whole time. Or it could be me editing as well. But there's a different mode, okay? So either got to be writing and just write. Dump it all out on the paper. Don't worry about what it sounds like, what the sentences are structured, the grammar, who cares? Get it out there. And then you got to take a step back and get into editing mode. So then there's two different functions there. So you're either writing or you're editing. And so I would say first, get it all out there and then maybe walk away from it. And then maybe the next session you sit back, I'm going to take what I wrote yesterday and I'm going to be editing now. And that's when you go in and restructure, you know, the words, you're playing around with the words, you're shifting sentences around, breaking, moving paragraphs around, you're kind of making it flow better. And the idea... Yeah, there's something magical about stepping away from something to and not making a decision immediately. I know that usually it doesn't work, but usually we require to make a decision quickly on something. So just to let the other processes to, to keep going. But I find there is, I like to like sleep with the idea. And after the next day, it just with this complete different mindset, I feel like the quality of decision is way better. Yes. One more thing to add on there, guys, because this is also another important thing about writing. Once you get it to a point of, you know, it does, a lot of people get tripped on this perfection thing. 
you got to get it out the door. What's important is get it to a point where it's like 80, 90% is good. It's good enough. Okay. It's good enough. Get it back. What's important is the feedback. So you want to get it out there and then take the feedback and then see what's resonating with people, see what's not resonating with people. And then just through this process, you will become a better writer. You have to expand your time horizon. This thing is not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen over a year. You have to expand it and go through the process. There's no way around it. So you have to stick it out. You have to ship You have to ship out work. 80, 90% is good enough and you will continue to get better over time. I was going to say with that, this sounds like a very nice point to wrap up on. But mine, you had one more question, so go on. No, no, I was actually going to say that <laughs> we need... Oh, okay, cool. Well, that's a good, good point to end. So Carl, tell us where people can subscribe to the newsletter and where people can connect with you. Yes, the best place to connect with me is probably on LinkedIn. It's just my name, Kyle Nitchen. N-I-T-C-H-E-N. So follow me on LinkedIn, connect with me, mention that you heard on this podcast. I'd love to chat with you, connect with you, learn about you, all that. To go to the newsletter, you can just get it through LinkedIn. There's a link in my bio, or you can just go to Substack. That's where it's my email software provider. And that is just kylenitchin.substack.com. I think was one of those, but easily findable, searchable, I'm on Substack and and LinkedIn. And that's where you can connect with me. Yeah. Awesome. Carl, thank you so much. Sounds good. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Bricks and Bytes podcast. If you are enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate it. And we'll catch you in the next episode.